Indeed, O oh God, we are a people who have come to give you glory. Glory that is due you. We have been brought into this world to magnify the God of all glory and grace. And so grant us fresh supplies of grace as we seek to magnify you and before a world whose eyes have been smudged over with unbelief. And I pray that you will use grace, Ivan, and the church of Jesus Christ around the world to announce and proclaim our God reigns in heaven and on earth. Our Father, it is very difficult to understand your ways, ways that you promised would not be our ways. Your thoughts would be not our thoughts. We have watched providence unfold in front of us in the last seven days. That has staggered us. And uh, none of us have any particular explanations. We are... Um, we dare not try to assign motive to your ways. But we are your people, O oh God, everlastingly you're your people. We are devoted to try and make you known. And so in this period of national crisis, might the church of Jesus Christ be the church of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more beautiful, O oh God, than the, when the church is being the church. And so we plead that we might not miss this moment of opportunity to announce and proclaim our God reigns, both in heaven and on earth. Father, it is uh, for such moments as these that you have called the people to yourself and so we pray that we, we might not miss this opportunity to, um, to spill out bowels of compassion and that people might sense that there is something altogether inexplicable about why your people act the way they do. Lord, we thank you that even the world has been caught up with this tragedy. And we're glad they are. And yet, oh God, your people have been meeting tragedy after tragedy for centuries. In plagues, the church never left the city. She moved into the city. And so now in this plague, might we move into it redemptively. Father, um, Thank you for the monies that you provided for Gracie Van. There are bills to pay, indeed. But we pray that you will, that your people will find more reasons to be generous, more reasons to trust you, more reasons to give than ever before. Not so that salaries can be paid, but so that the kingdom of Jesus Christ might be expanded. We pray, of course, in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles and open them with me, if you will, to Psalm 84. While you're finding your Bibles, I have to, I have to tell you, 
I just changed Bibles on you. Um, I, and I do this. I, I told you I'd do this. I, you know, I warn you that I do this, but I do this. I change Bibles every two or three or four years. Um, because I, I've got them, you know, I just, I want something fresh. This is the English Standard Version that I'm, I'm reading from and will be for the next couple of years. So I just, we, we needed some sales in the bookstore. And, um, so I just thought I'd pump it up a little bit. But, um, I want to read you Psalm 84 in its entirety. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are... are The highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. I have to tell you that the, uh, the most difficult part of my sermon preparation over the past couple of three weeks has been deciding upon a point of origin. That is, a place from which to launch this next series that I'm about to launch. Consequently, choosing the right text has been very difficult for me. I want you to know, choosing the text, t- choosing the text came this morning as I was with the Lord out on my back porch. For those of you who came this morning expecting me to complete the study of the book of Genesis, from which we departed on Mother's Day, <laughs> don't, uh, don't dismay. We will complete the study of Genesis. Uh, Lord willing, we'll get back to that as soon as possible. But for now, we're going elsewhere. I feel somewhat like the prophet Amos. I don't know if you know anything about Amos, but it, uh, he's one of the minor prophets. Go take a look at him this morning. Or this afternoon, his name means burden. He was, a, he was a shepherd boy who was called and God gave him an oracle. And he announced to Israel his burden in the name of the Lord, which, um, which was, which was the, Amos' whole calling, was to announce what God had given him. Gang, I can tell you, uh, I love this. I love these times. that It doesn't happen every Sunday to me. But I want you to know it is the word that drives me to the pulpit this morning. Most often or more frequently for a preacher, it's usually the pulpit that drives him to the word, not this morning. It is the word that drives me to the pulpit. I have an oracle and I think, I think, I trust, I hope that oracle is from the Lord. 
How long this series will take, I cannot say. Um, I, I, I sense that it might take us all the way to December, but, um, but maybe not. I, I, I just don't know at this point. The, the, the reason that this is all so difficult, that is just to get started, and to find this spot from which to launch this series, the reason that's so difficult is because my subject is so fundamental, <clears throat> so foundational, so, so embracive, so inclusive in the Christian life, that it's hard to know where it all starts, where it originates, where's the point of origin. It's like asking somebody to, try to explain to you, where did the Internet start? Well, my subject is so embracive, so inclusive, so foundational to the Christian life, it's hard to know exactly where to start it. My subject is, is as vague as a word like beauty. It is, it is as, as individual and as, as personal as, as, as beauty is. You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's, um, it's as, it's as hard to grasp as, as something like desire. It's as romantic, my subject that is, is as romantic as a phrase like the call of the wild. It's as, it's as practical, that is my subject is as practical as how or where do I find happiness. My subject is so biblical. It's as biblical as the term, the kingdom of God. And if I'm forced to, that would be how I would identify my subject and, and give it some kind of title. It would be the kingdom of God. Gang, here's my premise, my thesis for the entirety of this series. I, I, I want to say this again and again and again. Here is my premise. You and I are made. We are designed. We are intended to function as glad-hearted subjects to a good king. We are intended, we are, we are designed to function as glad-hearted subjects of a good king in whose kingdom we live. And it is there that we will find joy. That is my premise. We are intended, we are designed to serve as glad-hearted subjects of a good king in whose kingdom we live. And it is there and there only that we will find joy. We are made to be ruled, not to rule, my dear friend. The, the, the complexities arise, the, the problems, the, uh, our joy is diminished, our, the, the tensions begin, the conflicts occur, the, the pain and the brokenness is felt, the emptiness is tasted, all because there is another kingdom. And the, and the two of these kingdoms are in conflict 
a, a battle that is being waged for my and your devotion. A battle being waged over what is it, what it is that you and I will give our hearts to. Augustine called it a, a battle of two loves. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, there will never be a time. There will never be a time until Jesus returns. There will never be a time where those two kingdoms do not exist. They always exist until Jesus comes again. And in that sense, Christianity endorses a, a, a kind of pluralism. Jesus defends the existence of, of two kingdoms in his parable of the wheat and the tares. There are two kingdoms, two societies, two loves. Augustine calls them cities. Two cities that are, that are so intermingled. They're so intermixed. They're so um, entangled. And they'll remain that way until the, Jesus comes again to separate them. Those two kingdoms, they compete, they vie for our affections. And yet Jesus on numerous occasions goes out of his way to emphatically state how different is his kingdom from the other kingdom. He says in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, guys, um, I, I want to try and illustrate that point for you. And I, I'm borrowing an illustration from David Montague. But before I do this, I need to say something to you. It's kind of an aside. I'm coming back, but i got to say something as an aside. Are you ready? I'm about to do something that I have hesitated in doing really for years. I've hesitated in doing it because I have resisted being slick. I hate slick. I never wanted to be slick. I've never tried to be slick. We've never tried to be slick in this church. I hate slick. I've never wanted to be cutting edge. Cutting edge doesn't appeal to me. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to do something not because I want to be on the cutting edge. I'm about to do something because I love you. And I want to communicate with you. I want to connect with you. And I'm becoming more and more aware that the culture in which we find ourselves is so visual. It's so interactive. It's so virtual. That in terms of communicating truth, concepts, important ideas, that the more stimuli I can give you, the better. And so I'm about to jump into, and, and guys, I am, I'm simply wanting, I hope you understand my motives behind this. I'm going to start flashing things at you. Not right yet. But I, I want to try and help you see what I'm saying. All right, let me go back and tell you where we were before I digressed. Guys, we are designed to live as glad-hearted subjects of a good king in whose kingdom we live, where we will find joy. But there's this other kingdom that continues to vie for our affections. And yet Jesus talks about how different is his, his, his kingdom from the other kingdom. Uh, Augustine, in his great work, The City of God, you perhaps, I read that thing. The City of God, calls, he calls the two kingdoms cities. He uses the term like you would use the term societies. He calls it the city of man and the city of God. We'll get to it in just a second, but hold on. Guys, 
He's saying that these things are in competition. They're, they're the competition of two loves. Now, when you think of the kingdom of man, what kinds of things are important there? What kind of things do they value? What kinds of things become valuable in the kingdom, the city of man? In fact, Augustine says that the city of man started in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain, who killed Abel, went out and built a city. What kinds of things are valued in the, in the kingdom called the city of man or the city of Cain? Richard? Guys, there are things that are, that are important in, in these cities. Things like uh, career and per, um, position and reputation and fame and beauty and security and sex and leisure and portfolio and resume and education and health and savvy and applause and self-confidence and knowledge and power and recreation, position, revenge, possession. All of those words are things that you associate and identify as valuable in the kingdom of man, in the city of man, in the city of Cain. But what things are valuable in this other kingdom? Things like humility, service, self-control, and grace, and joy, and wisdom, and giving, and worship, and submission, and long-suffering, and forgiveness. You see, guys, you got two kingdoms. And, and in one kingdom, certain things are important. And in the other kingdom, other things are important. And those things are often diametrically opposed to the things that are important in this other kingdom. Now, indeed, there is a sense of overlap, Rich. That there's a sense of overlap. There are certain things that, that are important in both kingdoms. Things like um, health and family and education and love. So there is a bit of overlap between the two kingdoms. But in the main, these two kingdoms are in conflict. And the conflict is unfolding in your soul. To what will you give devotion? Where is it that you will find joy? Foundationally, there is a conflict that's being played out in our hearts and souls. And the foremost question is, to what will we give devotion? Where am I going to find joy? Now, guys, I want to try and tell you what I want to do. Rich, if you'll take that one off. Just hold on to the last one. Um, it's my hope that in this, um, this coming few weeks, that at the end of our series, at the end of this discussion... You and I are going to be better able to see and thus be drawn by the Holy Spirit to the beauty of one of these as opposed to the other. Gang, make no mistake. Christianity is a kingdom. It is primarily a kingdom. Jesus Christ didn't die so much as to make you forgiven. He didn't die so much to save you. He died to usher you into a kingdom. Jesus didn't come looking for believers. He came looking for followers. And the first step of their following was their belief. Yes. 
But he came looking for people to usher them into a brand new kingdom. And then he promised to those people something that he called abundant life. Life indeed. Christianity is a kingdom within a kingdom. And thus, it's no surprise that Christians are this odd mixture, this amalgamation of values from both kingdoms. That now is what I'd like that other one if I could get it. But, but guys, what happens is we've got these two kingdoms that are in conflict. And what ends up happening is we borrow all of these values and import them into this kingdom that we've become a part of as followers of Jesus Christ. And what we end up being, we end up looking like nothing more than, than good citizens. You know, some, some nice people who've added a few morals to their behavior. But in the main, we look just like them. We've got all the values they've got, all the possessions and the portfolio and the resume and the sex and the leisure and the reputation. All of that's in there. And then we've added a few things in there, and that's what we end up with. Guys, the net result is that Christians end up looking just like everybody else. They're just a little more moral. And they do something weird with their Sunday mornings. Gang, Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. Alive to him, alive to his kingdom. His goal is not to simply save you. His goal is to bring you into conformity with his image. Nothing short of transformation. And once we believe that, once you believe that, there will be radical changes in the way that we live. And yet, we are the focus of an unyielding, unrelenting attack on the part of the other city, which so many of us know a whole lot about. So, guys, you know what my job is or my goal is for these coming weeks? I'm going to try to get you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to change beauties. To change beauties. To redefine beauty. And if God allows... You won't be able to recognize this in six months. Let me spend the rest of my time trying to illustrate. And then I'm finished. Guys, um, I told you this about this sermon. It's a sermon that we studied uh, in seminary years ago. Um, I don't remember much about the sermon. I do remember the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon was this. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The sermon was by Thomas Chalmers, and the title, forget the sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I want to take you to a new affection. And if God allows, there will be an expulsive power where all of those habits that we hate about ourselves, all of those those values 
all of those empty pursuits, they'll be expelled. That's my first. Here's my second illustration. I told you this story once before, I think, but as a boy, I was about 10 years old. And a family asked if I could go with them, with their son, to a little place and do one Sunday afternoon and go horseback riding. And I'd never been on a horse. I was 10 years old, never been on a horse. And so this family asked if I could go. They had a son, and he was my friend. And so they asked if I could go horseback riding with them. And then they, my parents said yes. So I went out to this place in North Mississippi, and we rented these horses. Well, it turns out that these horses weren't much of the horses. You know, they were, they were one step shy of the glue factory. And, and what it ended up, you paid your little fee, and then this horse you got on that just walked around this determined, predetermined path. And it didn't, there wasn't any horse riding. There was a whole lot of horse walking. But, uh, you know, this little guy in front led us around this path, and that was it. Well, my horse was a dead slug, and I was trying to kick it and make it go. And there's nothing I could do to make that horse go anyplace. But um, we came up over this rise. And as we came up over this rise, the horse, apparently, I, I, I'm not much, much uh, in analyzing horses, but apparently the horse got a, got a sight of the barn. You know, the barn where he lives and eats and drinks and lays down and gets rid of me. And that horse took off. And it was all I could do to hold on to that thing as it was, you know. <laughs> and it was worth the whatever we had to spend just for that little bit of space. But here's my point. Over these next weeks, I want to show you the barn. If God allows, I want to show you the barn. How is it that we can do that? Well, let me tell you. I got one suggestion. I got many in the coming weeks, guys, but I got one for you. Stay with me. I got, I'll, I'll close this way. I was going to show you a clip from The Lord of the Rings, the trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, but I looked at nine hours of, of movies this weekend and um, never found the clip I really wanted. But I, I was surprised at how many of you had not seen Tolkien's great trilogy. It was wonderful. It, had, it, was, just, it was laced with spiritual imagery. And there were numerous heroes in it. There was a Christ figure. There were several heroes. But I guess the, the primary hero was a guy by the name of Frodo. Frodo Baggins and his friend Samwise Gamgee. And the two, Mary and, and Pippin, who followed them. And they, they lived in the Shire. You might remember the Shire. If you saw, they lived in the Shire. The Shire was a little village. A little village where they lived. And, and when they left the Shire and went off in this... They were, he was assigned a task of taking this ring back to the Mount of Doom and throwing it into there to destroy it. Frodo was. And so uh, when they left the Shire, all, I mean, they would frequently talk about life in the Shire. They would talk about the strawberries and how big the strawberries were and how wonderful they tasted in cream. And, and the, 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 the pumpkins, how large they were and the beautiful dancing women and, and the ale that they drank. And they longed for life in the Shire. And when they left the Shire, life really got more difficult for them. But when they got out there, they saw adventure like they'd never seen in their lives before. And, and they saw deliverance after deliverance after deliverance after deliverance once they were outside the Shire. And they learned things about themselves. They learned things about the Shire. They learned things about life that they never could have learned inside the Shire. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to take you outside the Shire. We have routine, we have schedule, we've got family, we've got emails, we've got cell phones, we've got 
a predictable, secure, safe life. And all of that forms this scaffolding underneath us. Some of us haven't tasted trusting God in years. You don't need to. You got the scaffolding. Life is comfortable in the shire. Ladies and gentlemen, as lovingly as I know how to tell you, I want to rip all of that scaffolding out from underneath you. So that you can find that God is trustworthy. You know, guys, we have made the unpredictable God predictable by our routine. We have removed all the mysterious, the mystery from God. It's called the numinous. We don't have any in our lives. And one of the ways that I want to suggest, just one, this doesn't have to be it, but I think you should plan right now, right now, right now, today, plan it. I think you need to go on a missions trip with us sometime in the next 12 months. Every one of you. Let's get outside the shire. And taste something that perhaps we haven't tasted in years. i got to tell you one more story and I'll finish. Um, as you probably well know, I have been gone for uh, 18 days. Two of those were traveling, so it's really 16. I preached 13 times in 16 days. Uh, one of the weeks that I, I preached, I preached 10 times in 8 days to a group of um, university students out of the Czech Republic. Kurt Tower is with me. And um, as, as the week unfolded, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful time, but I'm just telling you one of the events. On Friday, and I think that would have been on August the 19th, I'm uh, sitting on a bench out next to a lake, and there's no lake there. There used to be a lake there, but they drained it because they're doing some erosion, something or other. And so it's just this big valley of no water. And, but they're, the Czech students, in their free time in the afternoons, had, the, had um, um, put together a volleyball tournament. A volleyball tournament. And so they were playing volleyball. And I was just sitting out there, and, and I was watching them play volleyball because I wanted to be with them. And I had my notes, and I was working on this sermon. I was working on this sermon. So I'm sitting there and enjoying the, the weather was idyllic and just having a wonderful time. And, and I'm working on my little sermon. And, and um, out of nowhere, this woman comes up and sits next to me. Not next to me, but she sits next to me. Her name was Amelia. She was Polish. She's from Poland, a little village in Poland. And, and she was um, telling me how much she had enjoyed my messages. She spoke wonderful English and Polish, but she spoke no Czech. We're in the Czech Republic. She spoke no check. So I thanked her and yada, yada, yada. And, and, um, and I said, well, tell me a little bit of your story. It turns out that she's 28 years old. She came to know Jesus at age 18 in an in a English camp. And her parents refused to allow her to be baptized because they were Roman Catholic. And then two years later, they finally allowed her to be, to be baptized. And so she's been a Christian for 10 years. She, again, she speaks English. And then she was in um, Poland. She has an MBA. Bright girl, and, and her company had said something about uh, offering uh, or uh, looking for volunteers to go out of the country to learn some more international nuances of their trade and their business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so she stepped forward and said she would go, and so she was going to be sent to Brno, Czech Republic, where our group went. 
Brno, Czech Republic is the second largest city in the Czech Republic. And she was going to be sent there just as kind of an exchange business kind of thing to learn business and, you know, and trade and all that business and, you know, all that stuff. And so when she found out that she was going to be moved to the Czech Republic, she, uh, to Brno, she called some friends that she had in Prague, Czech Republic, and said, what do you know of any Christian stuff in Brno? And they told her about KVZ. KVZ is an agency that we as a church sponsor. And uh, so she, she arrives at the headquarters of KVZ there in Brno, speaking no Czech. She speaks Polish and English. She speaks no Czech, but she says, I can figure it out because there's some similarities. She, she comes in there to say, what do I, where can I find uh, other Christians? And they said, well, how about this? We're going to have a, 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 a seminar, a, a week-long, con, um, whatever, uh, re- retreat in two weeks. And so she immediately signs up. And so she comes, she takes a little train up to this place and then gets a ride out to this retreat site. And she doesn't know anybody. She doesn't speak Czech. And she's living in Brno. And she's sitting next to me telling me how delighted she was in what I've been saying. And I said, um, well, my goodness, what a, what a brave thing it is that you've done. I mean, to, to, to leave your homeland and, and to come to Brno and, and not knowing anybody and can't speak Czech and yada, 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 yada. And she looked at me and she said, and this is almost a quote, ladies and gentlemen. She says, oh, yes, I was oh so eager to come. Here, here, here's almost a quote. She says, because I was much too cozy in my own country. You're much too cozy. She told me that. And I said, I said, Amelia, let me show you what I was working. I grabbed my notes and I, and I had been working on this outside of the Shire business, taking you outside of the Shire. Yada, yada, yada. And I said, look here. And you know, do you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was telling her, I want to go back to our congregation and tell them that they've got to come out of the Shire and they've got to find life outside the Shire because that's where God is. Is God inside the Shire? Sure he is, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying that. Do you have to go out of the city, out of the country to experience this? No, I'm not saying that. But somewhere, sometime, something has got to happen. That you find out that God can be trusted. Anyway, I'm showing her all this business about Lord of the Rings and Yeti. And, and I'm telling her that I want to say to her. And she had just said to me. Life was too cozy in my own country, and I'm telling her, well, that's what I want to say to our people back in Crazy Man. And I'm showing her all my notes, and she looks at me, and her eyes begin to glisten. And she says, Hallelujah. That's all she said. Ladies and gentlemen, we are designed, we are intended, we are made to give glad-hearted obedience to a good king in whose kingdom we live, and it is there that we will find joy. And I say to you, it is only there. My dream is for somehow... Oh God, we are a people who have grown oh so comfortable by living life in the Shire. 
We, uh, we like our strawberries and cream. We like our, we like our ale. We like the cell phones and we like the ease and the security and the safety. And we're dry as dust. And we keep wondering why it is that we don't taste God and where is God? And I thought he was to be something that I've never seen him to be. And Father, we don't need you because we've got our schedules. We don't need you because we've got our portfolio. I pray, O oh God, that you will allow us somehow, some way, somewhere to live a life that leans on you completely and to discover something so sweet to our taste, so glorious to our souls, so beautiful to our eyes, that it will create such a, a hastening of our souls. That there will be an, an expulsive power that we've never known to conquer sin. And that we might go forth to find, even though life has become so much more difficult, it has become so enjoyable. For the more we trust you, the more alive we will feel. And I pray that you will work in your people to desire for life abundant. Do that, Lord Jesus, for the kingdom's sake.